Scratching your head, scratching your head, party, party, scratching your head. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. I started uh, recording, and I sometimes says just a kind of almost as if Corey's like a little cat or a little dog. I sometimes will scratch her head, uh, <laughs> but I decide to open this because uh, I'm I'm not really going to do any post editing on this. Uh, so I tried to do my best queen imitation. Uh, I don't really have multi-track recording, though, so you have to make do with what you have. So welcome back to the Wages of Cinema, and I'm Jack, and with me... Wifely duty, Corey. Yes, and your duty today is to listen to me talk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, but you also, you'll, you'll participate, This though. is basically a therapy session for you, because... You had the trauma of seeing a bad movie that I did not see and will not see. Yeah, well, let me ask you this. So, well, before we get into it, because I guess there's no real surprise. I'm, I'm mentioning, I'm talking about uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, um, the new uh, biopic about Freddie Mercury and Queen. Um, but if if by hypothetical, um, you you saw that this movie got really good reviews, would you have gone to see it? I wasn't impressed by the trailer. So that was really your your main indication. It looked like a thoroughly conventional, thoroughly cliched movie. And every time I saw the trailer, and we saw it often, I thought to myself, man, I like Queen. Queen is such a good band. I want to go listen to some Queen and not see what will probably be this lame-ass movie. Corey, I'm going to shock you right now. Your instincts weren't far off. <laughs> now, the thing was, I went I went to see this movie, and I'd heard already some reviews about it. I'd heard some, uh, frankly, not good buzz. Uh, you know, the Rotten Tomatoes average isn't that bad, though. No, it's not that bad, but I mean, like, yeah. you know, like, for example, listening to Double Toasted, they gave it really low rentals. But they also were pretty disappointed by, it. and I'm I'm frankly disappointed by this movie too. But it's for a number of reasons. It's not just one thing. There are things about the movie that, frankly, are mostly just bug me on very nitpicky levels. But there are also things about it that I think are bigger issues that keep me from liking the movie, even if I had like little issues with it. So. I'm sorry, you're about to ask me something? Well, I was going to say, Matt Singer, who we're both big fans of, also really didn't like this movie. And he said on Letterboxd something that I think we can use to frame our discussion of this film, or your discussion of this film. Yeah, and you and you listening to me talk about <laughs> it. And you can ask me questions, of um, How do you make a movie like this in a world where Walk Hard exists? Yes, I. that's where, <laughs> obviously, you kind of need to start with that. Um, if you've ever seen Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story, walk hard, <laughs> hard, down lives. It's so good. Yeah, we actually rewatched this movie. I don't know if we talked about it on the podcast. Uh, you and I rewatched this a little, almost a year ago. Yeah, actually, we, we watched it on Christmas Day. Yeah, actually. because we couldn't go out and do actual Christmas activities. So we had a proper Jewish Christmas where we just ate Chinese food and watched TV. Yes, and uh, revisiting uh, Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story, which is, you know, such a... It's it's a modern classic comedy. It's It's one of the 
few spoof movies or parody movies from like the past like 10 or 15 years that's actually really good. It's um, brilliant. And yeah, and the thing with that movie though, watching it, do you think that the people who made it, do they have do you think they had some kind of affection for musical biopics at all or are they just kind of trashing the movie? Um cuz like sometimes you watch a movie like say Black Dynamite and you know that the people who made that movie really love black exploitation cinema and it kind of shows in how they're making it. I I'm not sure people, watching Walk Hard. I think Walk Hard is pretty cutting actually. Yeah, it is. <laughs> you know, it's and the thing about Walk Hard and this kind of relates back to Bohemian Rhapsody, you it, it nailed basically like a complete framework. In a way Walk Hard kind of is in the great tradition of Airplane. You know, an airplane of course literally took the script from airport 70 or one of those airplane or airport movies from the seventies and just played it straight for laughs and walk hard basically did that. I mean, the wrong kid died. (laughs) Now I should say Bohemian Rhapsody doesn't have the wrong kid die, but the movie opens Bohemian Rhapsody opens with, you know, like the ending and, you know, walk, you know, and uh, walk the line did this, you know, where, uh, Johnny Cash is behind, is g- about to go on stage at Folsom Prison, and he's just sit- standing there. Freddie Mercury <laughs> has to reflect upon his life before that, he can go yeah, on stage. Yeah, pretty much. That's the opening. He's about to go on stage at Live Aid. Um, a little foreshadowing cough as he gets out of bed. And oh god, we got. Well, I'll get to the that. movie pretends he had AIDS at this time in his life. Uh, that, he did not. You're, you're getting ahead of what I was going to get to. <laughs> Let me get to that. I keep. I think I've done more talking in this review than you have. Yeah. Let me. Good. Let me go over this. Okay. So in Bohemian Rhapsody, the way that they present the story, it's basically almost played to the cheapest seats. It's not played in a way that really well well it's here there are a couple of big problems first off it's playing to the audience the most obvious stuff uh you know it's like how did they record bohemian rhapsody well you'll find that out how did they how did they somehow record we will rock you and oh i have i have an issue with that that i'll get back to put a pin in we will rock you i know it sounds weird but i'm gonna come back to that that's a nitpick for me you know how did uh you know, what, what did the record company say when they handed in this six-minute operatic song? Uh, oh, God, that's a whole other scene. Damn, there's so many scenes in this movie. making me angry. Um, what happened when Freddie Mercury decided, I'm going to go and do some solo records? Guess what happens there? All of it is as obvious as you can predict, and yet they managed to fuck it up in ways that are even worse. Because, and this is the other problem, they are kind of lying in the movie. And the thing, I I wrote this in my Letterboxd review, I sometimes, I know that sometimes movies will have to change up how they present certain facts about people's lives. You, you, You know, it's just, it's, and that's sometimes fine. If they change little dates and the chronology of certain things for, for the sake of drama, okay. Like, sometimes we accept that. And the, the the example I used 
uh, it's not a music biopic, but it's a biopic uh, with the Andy Kaufman, uh, Jim Carrey, Man on the Moon, which I, I know you didn't see that, right? No, I saw it. Oh, you did? Well, do you remember that in the movie, uh, you know, like Andy Kaufman gets diagnosed with cancer? Yeah. And um, in the movie, way earlier at the beginning, when he first meets his manager, his manager asks him, uh, so I don't know, what do you want to do? Andy Kaufman has this kind of wistful look. He's like... Well, I always wanted to play Carnegie Hall. <laughs> and they kind of leave it at that. And when I saw the movie, I was pretty young, but I was already kind of an Andy Kaufman fan. Um, I had watched like a documentary on Comedy Central like a year before. Um, and that was also when I was getting into wrestling. And so because Andy Kaufman got had like a wrestling phase with Jerry the King Lawler, that, that kind of fascinated me. And I had watched... The Andy Kaufman live at Carnegie Hall special. I actually had that on tape for for quite a while. He did the Carnegie Hall special actually a few years before he even got diagnosed with cancer, though. Like, I forget how he got it, but he, he played Carnegie Hall actually fairly early in his career. But the movie made it that he performs at Carnegie Hall as if it's his last big thing. So that's the kind of dramatic license you found to be successful. It, well, Unlike the dramatic license in this movie where it pretends that Mercury contracted AIDS years before he actually did. Yeah. And, you know, and it's not exactly a spoiler to say, uh oh, Freddie Mercury gets AIDS. What could be kind of spoilerish if you haven't seen the movie is kind of the chronology of events with this. So if you really don't want to be spoiled, maybe you should stop now. How can you talk about spoilers with a biopic? Because well, I'm I'm talking about it as far as how the movie is presenting it. Okay. Um. So if you really don't want to, if you want to go in the movie completely fresh, like you couldn't predict every scene in this movie, like you couldn't predict like how it like has the sensitivity to gay people of cruising. <laughs> Oh, my God. father, who di- has not seen the movie. Oh, but- no. Are you about to tell the cruising story? No, I'm not. Even though I probably should tell the people the cruising no, story. No, but what are you about to say? Okay. So my father told me that the other members of Queen have, like, lingering resentments about really? Freddie Mercury. I didn't know and about that this. they were involved in, like, the planning of this movie. Oh, no, no. Yeah, they, they're, they're credited. Well... A couple of them are producers. I actually, I think one of the members of Queen isn't even in the music so, industry anymore. Now, here's the way my father put it. Now, I don't know if he actually knows what he's talking about with this, but he said to me that these other members of Queen had artistic input on this movie. Yeah. And a lot of them have lingered... Like, he phrased it as lingering resentments and like animosity towards Freddie Mercury. And huh. then he editorialized that they were jealous of the fact that like Queen was not a band where everyone was contributing equally. It was huh. it was the Freddie Mercury show. I and from what again, I'm not an expert with Queen. Now, it's funny because after I saw the movie and before he came home huh. from work today. On YouTube, they, they, they used to have this series of documentaries uh, called the Classic Album Series. And they're just like these one-hour documentaries where they would go over like a band's fav- famous album. So 
for example, I used to have a tape that was about Who's Next mm-hmm. uh, by The Who or, or th- like a Jimi Hendrix album. I watched a special about uh, A Night at the Opera, um, the album that had Bohemian Rhapsody and You're My Best Friend. Um, and in that, you know, again, Freddie Mercury isn't interviewed in present day. And this this is from about 10 years ago. The way that the two members, Brian May and I think it's Roger Taylor is the drummer. They framed it that like Mercury wrote a number, a, lo- a number of the songs, but other members of the band contributed songs too. So, so it wasn't like it was completely the Freddie Mercury show. What your dad might be referring to is that there was a period eventually in the band where Freddie Mercury did think he was really hot shit. And then he did go off and record a couple of solo albums but it's not like the band broke up. They got back together. And the one thing I think the movie maybe I, I'll take for granted that this is correct, that they did break sort of break up for a little while and then get back for Live Aid. So, yeah, apparently, though, my dad said that there was some um, like unresolved beef between well, Mercury and some of the other band members. Hmm. And what I said to him was, if you had some kind of beef against Freddie Mercury, I think it's pretty petty to, like, keep it decades after he died young. I mean, if you had some kind of vendetta against him, couldn't you just take pleasure in his untimely well, death and move on? Well, well, as you as you maybe know, Queen is still goes on tour. They, they have Adam Lambert sing for them. Yeah, I think they also had Paul Rogers sing with them for a while, is. too. He was the lead singer of Bad Company and... Uh, um, I never heard Queen sing with Adam Lambert, although, you know, I am an Adam Lambert fan, so... I think that, from what I've heard, I mean, I haven't really heard a lot of their stuff with Adam Lambert, but I I feel like I, he must be a talented singer to be able to play a big... Re- but I want to get back to my other point okay. before you kind of derailed me. Sorry. Um, <laughs> I'm such a bad influence on you in this review. No, it's okay. <laughs> my point was... The way that the movie uses AIDS, though, in the story doesn't work for a couple of reasons, though. Okay. Because, well, first of all, it doesn't work in just basic story terms. Because, again, by the time of the third act, you know, you get that mo- beat where, you know, the mo- you know, in the movie you've been having Queen, they've been having their big rise, and, you know, they each each new single is like a different origin story. It's almost like... Each song is like a superhero that's added to the Avengers that is the Queen catalog. <laughs> you know, we find out each song's superpower. <laughs> <laughs> and even like, as Matt Singer pointed out in his review, but uh, this is true, the microphone that Freddie Mercury uses gets its own origin story <laughs> because yeah because if, if you've ever seen Freddie Freddie Mercury sing he has like the microphone in a weird way and it's because the apparently the first time he used a microphone on stage with Queen if, as the movie tells us he had to like wrestle the mic <laughs> like he had to like wrestle it to the ground and like turn it into a mic monster so he could sing keep yourself alive Getting back to the third act conflict, it is what you've seen every one of these fucking movies. It's, 
I'm too big for you now. I'm going off. And I think Walk Hard did that too, didn't yeah. they? Wasn't that where like Dewey Cox grows like the big beard or whatever <laughs> and gets all psychedelic? Um, and so, you know, Freddie Mercury goes off and he, you know, he's in his head and he's like, I'm going to make my records. I can't collaborate with you guys anymore. We're done. And of course, Freddie Mercury realizes, oh, oh, these guys playing with me suck. You know, I have I am in charge of everything, but you know what? We're family. He even says those words. We're family. I want to meet with them. So he he. But the thing is, he starts having the movie cough. Where <laughs> you know movie cough time. Oh yeah, you know movie cough time. When a character suddenly coughs, that means <laughs> they're dead. <laughs> they're dead. <laughs> I feel like that must have. If that wasn't Walk Hard, it should have been. Um. And so uh, he finds out that he has AIDS. And this is in either it's 84, 85 in the movie. And so he asks, this is part of the impetus for him deciding that he's going to do. There's also another thing where he had like a bad gay lover who was kind of poisoning his mind and telling how great he was. And like, you know, you don't need queen. You know, you can be Freddie Mercury. You're huge. You know, it's like, you know, it's not just the Jackson 5, it's Michael Jackson. You're... <laughs> now I'm just thinking of the identical. <laughs> There's only one Elvis! There's only one Beatles! Now... God, the identical is... Which... Right, I'm getting off track. Let me, let me finish my point. So the band decides, alright, we accept your apology, uh, Freddie Mercury, let's go do Live Aid. As they're rehearsing, they have a scene where they're rehearsing for Live Aid. That's when Frey Mercury tells them, I have AIDS. And they're like, oh my god, oh, it's terrible. But then they go on and perform, and the last, like, 20 minutes of the movie is just the Live Aid concert. And the thing is, story-wise, you didn't even need the AIDS revelation. If you wanted, like, there's actually a little bit where Frey Mercury's in, like, kind of a room, kind of away from the TV, but the TV's kind of talking about AIDS. You could have just had the TV kind of talking about AIDS, and Freddie Mercury hears it. And then, you know, at the very end of the movie, they have the title card that comes up and says, Freddie Mercury died of AIDS in 1991. That would have actually worked. You have, like, just that little hint of AIDS, and that's it. You didn't need to give him AIDS, first of all, again, because the conflict is with him and the band it's and not the band, with him and aids and if they and the thing is the live aid concert resolves that in a way because he had all this difficulty with the band and again this is in the conventional bullshit of the movie but whatever i'm just trying to go by basic screenwriting logic you just have him perform you know perform with queen again and all of a sudden it's like oh we're performing in front of these like billions of people this is great i feel such joy that redeems you know your whole conflict putting aids on top of that everybody got aids and shit <laughs> it and then there's the other part which is he didn't have aids at the time yeah he didn't have aids when he did live aid also not too many aids I correct me if I'm wrong. He had AIDS. Matter of fact, didn't he not contract AIDS until like years after Live Aid? It was two years. In fact, he uh, they actually recorded and went on tour for a whole other album, which was actually the soundtrack for Highlander. 
Princes of the Universe, baby. Yo, you know the song. Yeah. And there's also um, a, a Kind of Magic. It was also another song off that album. Not a bad song. So, but my point is, isn't that, like, tacky as hell? Like, that's that's different than what Man on the Moon did, well, right? you really nailed it in your Letterboxd review where you said that AIDS and cancer are not the same thing because, especially at the time, there was a kind of stigma around AIDS that there wasn't around cancer. There's a reason why Freddie Mercury did not publicly disclose he had AIDS until literally the day before he died. Oh, I thought it was a little bit before that. I could be wrong. I didn't do anything crazy like fact check this. No, because I, well, I, I really re- think it was something like he said on a random like Tuesday. Oh, I have AIDS, by the way, and then like he was dead. Well, that could be a, like its own urban legend. So. Well, let me check on the internet. Well, no, because I believe it was in '87 or '88 that he revealed it. But again, so it's a problem on two fronts. It's a story problem, but it's also a problem because, like a lot of stuff in this movie, it's just lying. And even if, and I and I have like kind of a bullshit detector, and I feel like I'm wondering if people in the audience are going to feel this too. There's just a lot of stuff in this movie where my bullshit radar is like going off the charts. And, you know, sometimes when you see a biopic, you can try to look past the bullshit. No, I was totally right. Mur- um, Freddie Mercury did not publicly disclose he had AIDS until literally the day before he died. Wow. However, everybody knew. Like, oh, well, it that's, was well, that's what I mean. things were like, everybody oh. knew, but he wouldn't but, admit But it. my point is, though, he didn't contract it, though, until a couple... Yeah. Like, it's not like he... Again, the movie tries to show us that he told the band that he had AIDS before they did Live Aid. And again, it doesn't do anything for the movie. It's there as a cheap story device to have another scene so that the audience can like tear up when he reveals his AIDS diagnosis. Oh, and the other thing, too, there's another scene where when he goes to the doctor and finds out he has AIDS, you know, he tries to disguise himself in like glasses and like a hat or something. And he, but as he's like walking down the hallway out, there's this one guy, just one other person who has AIDS, and you can tell because they gave him like the one lesion on his face, and he's sitting there on a bench. And Eddie, um, Freddie Mercury, I almost called him Eddie Murphy. Maybe Eddie Murphy was there too. Um, <laughs> Freddie Mercury had this thing when he performed live. He would go. Ah! And then the audience go, oh, 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 like a little chant. This guy sitting down at the, at, you know, like at the waiting area, just suddenly turns his Freddie Mercury walks by and goes, oh, oh God, that's and then so Freddie Mercury cheesy. turns around and goes, oh, like as if it's like I recognize you, Captain America, and I'm giving you like. You know, oh, the, that's so corny. Oh, there's so, so much. So bad. There's so much corn in this movie. This movie has a scene where Fre- like Freddie Mercury and a character like kind of break up, and it's in, like, pouring rain, and it's, like, where Freddie Mercury's kind of, like, looking away from him and standing still as the rain is pouring down on him. Oh, God. And, oh, God. And aside from other cliches in the story, which I'll get back to, 
I want to talk for a second about just the look of Freddie Mercury for a second. Like the fake teeth that they gave him? The fact that he looks like Baba <laughs> Booey. <laughs> if you remember from the Howard Stern show. Uh, yeah, I don't know who Baba Booey is. Oh, uh, everybody listening, just Google Baba Booey. And uh, he it was a beloved running gag of my childhood. Because he was, he was the manager of like the Howard Stern show. He was the boss. Um, I guess sort of, or he scheduled things and Howard Stern, you know, he, that was his nickname for him, Baba Booey and Baba Booey had these giant buck teeth and <laughs> this other guy in the Howard Stern show would actually imitate Baba Booey, would imitate this guy, Gary, and be like, hobble. Oh, <laughs> 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 I whenever I think of him, I don't even think of him as Baba Booey. I think of him as like. Like, I think of Howard Stern going, what is it, Fafafohai? <laughs> <laughs> they would call him Fafafohai. They would call him Da-Da-Dummy. <laughs> oh, if my brother's listening to this, he's probably getting a good crack out of this. But no, my point is, you saw him in the trailer. Didn't he look ridiculous? Yeah, now... And look, I know in real life, if you see pics of Frey Mercury, he had fairly big teeth. Well, he had extra teeth. Yeah, that's the, yeah. He had this weird condition where I guess he was born with extra teeth. Yeah, but the way the movie makes it look, he it's like the it's like a fucking horse, <laughs> and it gets to the point where the movie even makes cracks about him. Like, you gotta do something about your teeth. Actually, I had one kind of chuckle in this movie, and there's like a they have the kind of scene which I think they had the scene in the Doors movie too. Where like the band is having like a press conference. Um, in this case, Brian Singer or whoever replaced him decided to do like because I guess Freddie Mercury's on some drugs and there's a lot of tension in the room and they're asking him personal questions and even though the band's there not asking the band questions and it's just like all flashbulbs going off and people asking horrible questions of him. One one of the press asks him like, "Hey Freddie, why don't you get your teeth fixed?" And Freddie responds, like, saying something like, uh, um, well, how would uh, anybody recognize me in England? (laughs) 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 And I thought that was actually, that was actually a genuinely clever moment in the movie. So, So, but you look at Rami Malek, and I almost felt bad for him, because, again, they give him this fucking Halloween costume, (laughs) and it just reminds me just... You look at picture. You look at Freddie Mercury. There was nobody else who should have played this role except Sasha Baron Cohen. Yeah. If he had played him, I bet you would have gone to see this movie. Probably just out of curiosity, because in Sasha Baron Cohen, for those who didn't know, he was attached for years to to play this to play this part. I believe the script was different previously, and then he split up from. He he finally couldn't said I'm not doing this movie because I think in the draft that he was given, like Freddie Mercury was only in like half the movie, <laughs> and then like the re- the other half was like Queen going on without him. I was gonna say, um, which I- maybe feeds into your dad's whole theory. Well, I think that Sasha Baron Cohen also admitted, I think that he had some creative beef with the actual members of Queen. Yeah, well, again. You watch this movie and you suddenly realize, oh, yeah, Queen, when when a band has creative control over, like, the material, 
it's going to be sanitized as fuck. I mean, yeah. Freddie Mercury, again, I have problems with his character, but at least he is kind of a character in the movie and he has a sort of an arc. The other members of Queen in the movie are just. <laughs> you barely can call them characters. <laughs> they have maybe a couple of scenes where they like pal around in a kitchen when they're recording an album. But aside really from that, tough. it's like, but aside from that, you know, yeah, you see them, you know, in the, they're experimenting in the studio and the other, you know, certain other scenes, but, but they're not really characters. And it, 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 it's weird because there are moments where suddenly the band will, they'll show like one of the origin stories, for example, the song, another one bites the dust. Uh-huh. That just came about because ba- the bassist was in the studio and just started doing do 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 do, and like the other member was like, "Ooh, that's good," and then he's like, "Yeah, I have lyrics," and then Freddie Mercury just does the lyrics and then cut the song. That was actually a bit of a weird scene too. Just take a little detour, like when when they have the scene where they're where they perform another one bites the dust. It's intercut with like a scene of like Freddie Mercury going into like a gay leather club. Mm-hmm. And that's where it almost feels like, I don't know the way that they depict gay culture in the movie. It's just so weird. Cause I know Brian Singer is gay, but it, he, it, it feels cartoonish. Like Freddie well, Mercury comes can- off. No pun intended. Like a queen. He comes <laughs> off like, oh, oh, darling. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Well, like, I don't think Brian Singer's experience of gay life is well, exactly on the up and well, up either. <laughs> well, the thing I thought about with Rami Malek uh, with his teeth, I thought about um, the going back for a deep cut for you Wages of Cinema fans when we did our X-Men Apocalypse review and... <laughs> You know, and um, Matt was talking about Apocalypse's face and talked about the brow ridges. <laughs> and Andrew commented, brow ridges, people. Brow ridges. <laughs> the teeth are the brow ridges of this movie. So I'm not surprised that Brian Singer, would, even though he is gay, would not have a very sensitive hand but, but, dealing but, with like, no, gay rights No, but, 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 he's, but he made X-Men movies where the whole subtext was mutant gayness. Well, maybe he can deal with homosexuality, like, in metaphor, but not literally. Uh, I mean, not that the X-Men movies were especially subtle. Yeah, but maybe he needs that, like, thin layer of allegory. Yeah. And I know he, again, I know he didn't direct all the movies. I don't even want to... We know the horrible things Ryan Singer does. (laughs) I wonder if this will be his last movie. Like, it's going to make a lot of money, but who knows what will happen. Because, like I said, he's credited as the director on the movie, and I think that's... You know, like, because of director guild rules. But the scuttlebutt is, no, this other guy directed the movie. and Or at least directed a large part of it. And a a Ron Howard solo thing happened here. Now, Um, let me ask you. I know you're not a fan of this movie at all. I I mean, here's the thing. You gave it one and a half stars on Letterboxd. Well, no, but that's... If I were just looking at the musical performances, those aren't bad, 
Like, if this was actually a, just a, like a Queen concert movie, even as just a cover movie or something, I'd be like, okay, it's fine. It's just that the story beats, again, aside from, I, I mentioned before about the whole opening, he's going to tell us about his whole life. The movie also has the disapproving parents of, of Freddie Mercury. Who are probably much more like uptight and conservative. Oh, of course. Well, yeah. And to be slightly fair, the movie, they try to make it, they try to show that, you know, Freddie Mercury wasn't his real name. He was actually a um, an immigrant, I think. His name was like Farouk something. And he, he legally changed his name to Freddie Mercury. And that, but then it's also, we're going to show him that he has the parents. And then he has this woman that he falls in love with. But uh-oh, he, he tells her after some struggling, he's, he's bisexual. And she reacts, no, you're gay. And then he has his own love affairs. And uh, But what are you now, about to ask me? Okay, I'm about to do something very presumptuous. I'm going to, like, woman-splain your own opinions to you. Was I having bad opinions? Or no, something? no, not at all. It's just that when you, right after you saw this movie, okay, you were like livid with anger about how much you hated that, how much you hated it. And I want to make sure that we adequately communicate to the people. No, I mean I'm not as angry now as when I first. You yeah, know, but I review. just wanted to tell but- the people that, like, unfortunately, when Janet got to see this. You texted me about it like one o'clock in the afternoon, but unfortunately we could not record because I had like a lot of work to do today. Yeah. So I wish we could have been able to bottle Angry Jack immediately after you saw this. So, oh, you mean so I could be like, call me by your name, Corey? Yes. Yeah. Well, no, I am still, you know, I am unhappy with this movie. A lot of the movies just again very generic and by the numbers. Like I said, it aside from also Walk Hard, there are couple, there are some points too where I thought of Spinal Tap. <laughs> um, there's like there's this one scene where Freddie Mercury is just like wistfully sitting at a piano and he plays like he's playing this beautiful song to him, uh, by himself, and I think it is an actual song that's on Night at the Opera. But all I could think about was the scene in Spinal Tap where you see Christopher Guest is like playing this wonderful, beautiful piano song, and Rob Reiner is right next to him. He's like, "Oh wow, that was really beautiful." Yes, yes, it's called "Lick My Love Pump." <laughs> <laughs> so and and so it's just it 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 boil it's at best everything is very boilerplate in this movie. You're getting such watered down versions of stories. And then there are also things that are, let me, let me take back the pin about we will rock you. Okay. Please do. There are actually two versions of we will rock you. Uh, for those of you who don't know, there's the version that of course, everybody's heard all their lives, which, you know, it's like the, the, the ultimate sports song, Mm -hmm. uh, the, which isn't, we, uh, we are the champions. Um, by the way, this is just a side note. Do you think We Are the Champions is a little bit of a... I, I mean, I, I guess I like the song okay, but it's definitely one of my least favorite Queen songs. It feels very, like, braggy. I mean, Do you know what I mean by that? 
Like, I, we are the champions. Nah, 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 nah. It doesn't bother me that it's braggy. I will say it's not like in my top 10 or even top 20 Queen songs. No, it's it's a. I think maybe I liked it more when I was younger. Maybe I'm just tired of that one. But what I wanted to say is that with We Were Walk You, there's a fast version of the song, so to speak, which sounds more like a conventional Queen song, but it's actually one of my favorite Queen songs, the other version of We Will Rock You. But that was the kind of thing that, again, I've known about this for years, like, because it's there, you can find it easily on YouTube. I think it was, they recorded it maybe for the BBC, but again, it's had millions of views on YouTube. It's not like an obscure find. Um, and the movie doesn't show that at all. It just shows, you know, hey, we want to record this. We want to do a song for the fans that they can sing along with. Okay. What about the other version? That would have been interesting detail. Like, I know that we think about that there's, oh, sorry about your phone that there aren't good music biopics. I think there are some. It just takes... You have to kind of look... They, they have to be done in a way that's that tries to defy conventions. Um, we both saw... Did you see that movie, Love and Mercy? Yes, with me? and I liked it a lot. Yeah, that's a version... For those who have Love and Mercy, with uh, it's Paul Dano and John Cusack, that found a good way to do a biopic because they you know, took two points in somebody's life. Yeah, they knew if they tried to compress an entire life mm -hmm. into one movie, it would be, you know, like, checking off Yeah, checking boxes off boxes. Um, they knew if they really wanted to do justice to the material, mm -hmm. they had to focus in tight. Yeah. Or, or um, I'm Not There, the, the Bob Dylan movie. Yes, which again is creative which is very creative you know you're taking six uh things this is the, the this movie aside from not being very creative with how it's presented to the audience it's also just i couldn't really connect with freddie mercury either like he i i maybe the point was that he's made you know he's supposed to be a little elusive and He's very. He tries to act very flamboyant around everybody because if he's by himself, he's just very quiet and timid and doesn't like you know sit with himself well. But a the movie doesn't really get at his psychological or emotional state in a good way, and it, it's just a lot of it comes down to the writing. But I also just I've seen a lot of praise actually from Rami Malek in the movie, even for, from people who don't like the, the, the movie, but they say, Oh, Malik is really good. I'm not even sure he's that good. I feel like he's maybe some of it's the script, but he's basically given two modes. He's like, I am Freddie Mercury. <laughs> I look at you. I call this song. Oh, you don't like it. I'm going to fuck with your life. <laughs> <clears throat> or he's like, I have wide saucer eyes. And I'm very sensitive, Freddie Mercury. And I have to think that in real life, he had to have been a little more complex than this. Even like the Doors movie, which, you know, that's also kind of a conventional biopic in a lot of ways. At least that had some weirdness to it. You know, you had the weird naked Indian in the desert. And you had, like, and at least it was upfront about how much of an asshole 
uh, Jim Morrison was. Like, in this movie, they show Freddie Mercury's an asshole, but we're still supposed to like him, you know. Now... It felt like all the edges were kind of sanded off to be just, like, as acceptable to largest audience. And you know what? Part of why I also think I was pissed leaving the theater to get back to that for a second, and now I'm not so much now. Maybe I'm getting angry as I talk about it. So, so yeah, I wanted to um, unleash the Hulk Jack that was in my text this afternoon. You, you want you you won't like me when I'm angry. Um, <laughs> but no, I I was hearing like people like crying around me when they were like watching the Live Aid portion, and you know I have AIDS and shit, and it was a I just felt like, and also like people were like singing along like in the end credits they're playing don't stop me now and i just felt like what is with you people (laughs) (laughs) you know like you've been exploited by this movie i have a question for you why in god's name would anyone choose to watch this movie as opposed to just watching clips of queen on youtube good question uh, it's, it's a very good question. Is there anything that this movie gives you that you wouldn't get better wa- listening to actual music from Queen, watching or reading actual interviews with Freddie Mercury, watching actual Queen performances? Watching that documentary I watched about yeah. Night at the Opera. Um, not really, no. Oh, I gotta get to a couple other points now. Okay. I want to get to a couple of casting things. Okay. And I mentioned this in my review too, but I got to mention again. So they decide that we're going to get a little clever with some of our casting choices. Like for the band, they, they basically got facsimiles of who mm-hmm. they were, whatever. Um, and I think actually the actress who plays Frey Mercury's love interest, she's, she's not bad. Um, but they got Aiden Gillen. To play the band's manager. Little Finger. Yeah, good old Little Finger, which... Did he use his Little Finger voice in the movie? He does. Well, he can't not use his Little <laughs> Finger voice. I don't think he's one of those actors that can really change their accent very easily. And bec- But because of that, that's a problem. Because you know as soon as he comes on, oh, he's going to be the guy that fucks the band over. He's going to be that character. He's going to be the guy who you've also seen other biopics. Like, you know, I don't think he we had that type in Walk the Line or Ray. I feel like maybe we did. Maybe he was in Walk Hard. Every musician has to stop having the same life. Every it's musician. So boring. Oh, my God. we You had a manager that screwed you over. Oh, my God. You got into drugs. Oh, my God. You, well, not everybody got AIDS and shit, but... But no, as soon as you see Aiden Gillen, though, it like there's no susp- there's no question about what's this character going to do. And what's but what's weird though is that eventually he does get fired by Freddie Mercury, mm-hmm. but he gets fired for something that like he suggests to Freddie Mercury, you need to go on your own, you need to go solo. He's like, you're fired, but then he ends up going solo anyway for a bit. So it they fucked that up. Then the other stunt casting, which I have to mention, is Mike Myers, who is in the movie for a couple of scenes. I frankly, I don't, if you saw the movie, you might actually not recognize him. They give him like a beard and glasses, uh-huh. and like I guess a wig, 
and he has like a Scottish accent. He sounds a little bit like Fat Bastard, actually. <laughs> and he is the record producer, a record executive that tells the Queen nobody will ever bang their head to a car listening to Bohemian Rhapsody. Guess what? That's what, huh? Huh? You remember that thing you like? Stop make <laughs> stop reminding me of better movies than this. <laughs> I could go home right now and watch Wayne's Girl and set him watching Bohemian Rhapsody in IMAX, no less. You saw it in IMAX? Yeah. Well, I guess like you didn't have to pay more for it because you have the AMCA. I, list. I wasted my AMCA list on this movie. Um it, it, I thought I would watch it in A-list in the, in the IMAX because, hey, I get to see musical performances and hear it loud and big. and um, But no, Mike Myers is basically there as stunt casting. And that- on, on paper, you can understand maybe, oh, that's that'll be a fun idea. We get the guy who made Bohemian Rhapsody, you know, iconic again for people our age. Um uh, and you know he, he'll be the one who trashes it, but in execution, it it's just it sounds cringy. It, it sound it's it's pretty cringy. It's it's in it, it you know it's it's also not. It would be different if maybe it was more of like a funny scene, but it's not even all that funny. They try to make a couple of jokes, and even that doesn't work. And it's just that typical scene of you don't understand our song. You know, and, and he even asks him, oh, and I got to get to this. This is one of my nitpicks. He asks, you know, the record guy asks him, why, what night at the opera? What does that mean? This album is operatic. <laughs> you want the Hulk? No! No, 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 no. 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 No, that's wrong. Like... They Queen made two albums. Listen to me very carefully. They made two albums. One was called Night at the Opera. One was called A Day at the Races. Now, when I was a little kid and I first heard these album titles, I actually didn't know that they were named after Marx Brothers movies. This movie doesn't mention the Marx Brothers once. Not once. Maybe you the could... people who made the movie didn't know. See, that, that would be funny to me. No, of course they knew. There's a track like you. You look at a night at the opera album, and except for Bohemian Rhapsody, there aren't like operatic songs on that album. There's like a song called like "I Love Driving My Car" you know, <laughs> or something like that. It's not until literally right now that I knew that the title was a reference to the Marx Brothers. And when I was reading, I'm poking your face. <laughs> when I was... look at me, I'm poking you. <laughs> When I was reading your letterbox review, I was like, why are you randomly mentioning the Marx Brothers? <laughs> I didn't get it. Why well, don't even marry you? <laughs> yeah. uh, no, it's but no, but my point is no, that it was obviously a reference to the Marx Brothers. Like there's even a song on A Night at the Opera, and I'm blanking on the name of it right now. Uh jeez. But the song is like a 1930s styled like song. Oh, it's called like Seaside something. It, but I was just kind of offended that like, why couldn't they just mention 
you know, it's after the Marx Brothers. So, you know, all of a sudden, a whole new generation of people watching this movie who are young can hear the name or Marx Brothers. Ones. Yeah, and be like, who who are the Marx Brothers? I've never heard of them before. Oh, this movie's funny. Like, I don't know if you know about this, but British rock rockers in the 70s loved comedy. Like, I, I don't even know if it was just... Maybe, it might have even been Queen. Or I know it was Led Zeppelin. They helped, like, finance... Uh, Monty Python, the Holy Grail. Like, British rock stars were, like, huge comedy people. So that's why, again, Night the Opera, all right, you want to say it's operatic, whatever, but no, it's named after a fucking Marx Bros. movie. That's like saying, like, they should have had a scene where, why are you day at the races? Why is this called that? See, darling, it's... You go and it feels like you're there at the races. <laughs> you know what I mean with Dr. Quackenbush? Oh god. Oh my god. So that was that was a problem for me. That that was painful. Um Oh man. <laughs> now I'm just reminded of I've kind of forgotten most of this movie talking about like bad biopics. This is actually, this might even be worse than Bohemian Rhapsody, or it's on par. Have you ever seen Beyond the Sea? No. Do you know what that is, right? It's the Kevin Spacey biopic of Darren Bobby, somebody. Bobby Darren, where Kevin Spacey... He was like 20 years older than Bobby Darren. A good, like, almost 25 years older. He was in, like, his mid to late 40s, playing, like, a 25-year-old man. And But there's a scene in that movie, which I almost forgot... Um, but I'm reminded of it because Gilbert Gottfried brought up on his podcast. But there's like a scene in that movie where John Goodman is like his man, Bobby Darren's manager, and he's like, "Do you see this? You're the number one recording artist in the <laughs> world in 1930." Like, there, there almost feels like there are bits like that in this movie in a way. It, it's just, uh, there. I don't know if there might have been other nitpicks I wanted to. To get to as well. I mean, I mentioned uh, we will rock you. Um, but getting back to yeah, with Walk Hard, like that movie is also just funny. So just, funny. Yeah, it just gives you gag after gag. It knows its audience. Um, it even if you haven't seen Walk the Line, I feel like it will still work yeah. for you. Um, but. You need to be a little more clever with how you make your biopics now that when you have the stuff that's making fun of kind of what has already come before. And I know that the angle with this movie was, well, this character was bisexual, so we'll explore the, you know, some of that. But the way the movie handles that, again, I'm I'm not gay, so I'm, I can't judge how how you know the, the gay community will have to speak to whether or not the movie is, treats it se sensitively i don't think it does i just feel in my bones it's something about this movie feels icky like i mentioned before that it shows like freddie mercury going to like these gay leather clubs and stuff and it shows he has over like gay leather guys uh. that come over to his house at one point it almost seems to suggest, and then with the way that he, you know, contracts AIDS, 
the I don't know. Maybe I'm reading in between the lines or something, but it almost seems to suggest that the movie's saying that, well, he deserved it. Do I mean, I don't know if that's being a little harsh, but I'm, I'm wondering if that was something that if they didn't intend it, then they should have maybe been a little more sensitive to having like certain little signify. And they also do some corny shit too. Like they show at one point, um, Frey Mercury is at like a truck stop and there's another, there's a guy going into the restroom and he looks on like, do I go in or not? And that's not good storytelling either. That's not really tell, like making a compelling point. That's almost like a bit out of like a music video. <laughs> um, I don't know. I would ask if you had final thoughts, but again, you haven't seen this movie. I'm glad I didn't see this movie. And <clears throat> it it's it's not worth your time if if you it, unless if you're just such a uh, a mega queen fan. Um, and again, I like a lot of their songs. I, I, um, you know, aside from that, we will rock you alternate version. Uh, uh, I really, I've, I've been listening to keep yourself alive a few <laughs> times. I really love that song. Um, I don't know. What are some queen songs you like? I like most of their, I really like pretty much all their big hits. <clears throat> um, I really like fat bottom girls. Yeah. Yeah. I like that one. That one's pretty good. Um, I, I like some of their like harder stuff. Uh, I re-listened to a song today, uh, which is not in this movie, called Stone Cold Crazy. Oh, this is another... This this one has been pointed out by other people, so I, I thought it might be not worth bringing up, but the movie doesn't once mention Flash Gordon. Oh! No. You like that song too, right? I do. Flash! <laughs> He's a miracle! <laughs> it is such a campy song. I really like it. I love that song. I I think that is just they found just the right tone for a song that you know like how do you do like a Flash Gordon movie in 1980? Well, get Queen to do the soundtrack for it and it's it's you know such a magical little song. Not one mention of that. It's strange that they actually for all of the kind of mega origin stories that they use for this movie they kind of they they actually leave off a couple of big ones there's nothing about under pressure they well, play the song at one point you know what they should have done they just should have played a clip from vanilla ice talking about under pressure just think about how much you would have liked this movie if they just randomly inserted a clip of vanilla ice saying it's the itty bitty ting <laughs> <laughs> uh, the timeline wouldn't have worked for that in the movie, but I, I get your point. That um, that would have been nice. I wonder if maybe they, maybe David Bowie didn't allow his, like maybe his estate didn't allow like him to be used in the movie. Did I? Um, Who knows? Did I ever tell you my funny story from high school with another one bites the dust? No. Okay, so when I was in high school, oh no, was there like a lame? white bread parody of another one bites the dust no so when i was in high school i had a friend as people do i guess and okay friend <laughs> let's go with this <laughs> pretend i had a friend was her name georgia glass <laughs> and my friend's mom was an accountant at a retirement home okay and one day 
um, she pulled a prank where if you went to the website of the retirement home, it played another one bites the dust. Wait. Oh! The website. Like, she embedded, like, a clip from the song in this, like, you know... Was there, like, a ticker for every time (laughs) somebody actually bit the dust? (laughs) (laughs) We got another one! Ding! Another one bites the dust. So, she didn't leave it for long, but it was just a temporary (laughs) prank that if you went to the website for this retirement home, it would play another one bites the dust. Mm. You know, Weird Al Yankovic, his, the very first parody song he ever put out was... Another One Rides the Bus. Yeah. Yeah. That was when he was really DIY. It was him and the... Now, because I am a very, very shallow... um, I engage with music at a pretty shallow level. I don't really remember a lot of Queen's, like, non-single... There, there are some deep cuts I've heard. Like, I haven't listened to a lot of their albums straight through... Um, you know, cause a the radio, they've frankly, you know, like listening to classic rock all my life. Like they've, they've played certain songs, like I said, to, to total death. I'm almost a little tired of Bohemian Rhapsody, frankly, so. at this point, you know, it's like, it's such an innovative song. Um, which the movie also ch- shows that, which I guess, but basically- whatever, that, that apparently at the time Bohemian Rhapsody was panned by critics. Oh, that's something I just thought of, by the way. I was one. I don't know if you, this is going to sound like a far out theory, but going back to again the, the Brian Singer and that you know chrono- chronologically, last movie is X Men Apocalypse. Remember in X Men Apocalypse, there was that scene where, <clears throat> um, I think it was it Young Jean Grey and a couple of the other mutants go and see Return of the Jedi, and as they leave the theater, they're talking about oh that was disappointing. Yeah, well the third one's always the weakest. Yeah. Or something like that, as if they and they're ba- practically saying that to the camera or something, as if it's a dig at <laughs> Brett Ratner. When I'm sorry, you're making the third prequel movie, guys. I wondered if that was the moment in this movie uh, where they were trying to make a meta comment, like, "Oh, you're gonna try to pan our movie? Hey, they originally panned the song. Someday this movie's gonna be really appreciated." So, yeah, I'm trying to. Th- think now honestly of what my favorite queen song is she's i like like all their hits i don't think any of their hits are bad i really like all of them what's your favorite queen song uh, i don't i don't know if i quite have one um uh it's oh, a good question i i'm not sure i guess maybe it depends on my mood uh i like some of their faster songs though than than necessarily their their a lot than Anthem. some of the slower ones um you know, like, um, you know, I, I haven't listened to a lot of their later stuff, too. Like, I, I think after, like, 85, I don't really So when we say stuff. we're, like, big fans of Queen, we mean we like this. We really like the 10 songs that you hear on the radio. I like a few of their deeper cuts from their their earlier albums. They they started off as a fairly heavy, you know, hard rock band. That Then they got more into like having more froofy stuff um oh god there was another song i just heard today uh um i mentioned keep yourself alive uh that's in the movie um no one bites the dust 
Yeah, another one bites the dust is really, really, really good. Yeah, and that one I like because I think it's so simple, too. Oh. Um, it's not that complicated. Oh, you know what song I like? What? And it's kind of a corny song. I like the bicycle. Yes. Bicycle, bicycle, bicycle. Um, and, uh, yeah, I like that one. Like I said, I'm actually a little tired of We Will Rock You and We Are the Champions. Um... I, I swear, I'm thinking about more of the songs I'm tired of. Um, do you like uh, Find Me Somebody to Love? Yeah. That one's not bad. I like, though, the other one better. Their other song with love in the title. <laughs> Take, they're probably a number of ones. That's... No, there's actually one Queen song I really like that I'm trying to remember. You know what song I, I really like? You're My Best Friend. You know, um, that, that one is like... That's a really nice romantic song that doesn't that seem thing like... Called, or is it that thing called love? Oh, crazy little thing called love. Crazy little thing called love. That that's, one is really good. That That's a fun song. That That is a lot of fun. Um, all right. I'm so ra- hearing us like talk aimlessly about Queen songs is still more fun than watching the movie, it sounds like. It's, like I said, if... Here's why I would suggest, actually. If you really need to, um, wait till it's on, like, cable... And try to see if you can time it just right to tune in when they are when they do the the Live Aid set. Mm. That's actually kind of interesting to see how they recreate Live Aid. Um, now, granted, you could also just watch their performance at Live Aid, yeah. which it's not their entire set. Oddly enough, actually, they cut from the movie a "Crazy Little Thing Called Love," Whoa. which they perform at Live Aid, but is not in the movie. Um, yeah, but, but, but to see it in the theater, it's, it's just not worth your, your, your time and money. Like, and stop making lazy biopics that were cliched 30 years ago. Stop letting, stop letting the band, uh, stop letting the surviving band members dictate what you're going to do with your movie. You need to have somebody that will put their foot down. Like, again, like the Doors movie has its problems, but Oliver Stone made the movie he wanted to make. The Doors uh, people, like, the band members actually didn't have uh, input on the movie. Like, and they were actually kind of pissed about that, I think. But, you know, their loss. You know, he got to make the movie he wanted to. Um, you know, so j- just watch The Doors. You could even watch... I'm not even that huge a fan of it, but a few years ago, there was a James Brown biopic uh, called Get On Up. Mm-hmm. Which is also kind of conventional, but that at least had some more interesting stuff going on. And and Chadwick Boseman was James Brown, and he was really awesome in that. Uh, so you could go watch that, or again, just you know, watch you know Queen YouTube videos and, and stuff like that. Um, yeah, yeah, that's uh, basically about it. Anything? Any final questions for me? I think you've kind of heard basically everything I had to say. I enjoyed harvesting your thoughts. Thank you for eating my brains to gain your knowledge. <laughs> uh, if you've seen the movie and you have any thoughts uh, about about Queen, uh, Rami Malek, whatever, um, send a wage of cinema at gmail.com. And we're on Facebook and Twitter um, at the Wages of Cinema podcast. Uh, and when we come back next time, as usual, we'll have 
movie talk and maybe this next time Corey will see the movie with me <laughs> yes maybe i'll see a movie <laughs> <laughs> i should have made you see it just so you could like talk about it um you couldn't have recorded until tomorrow though because i got home uh, it's, so it's late fine. tonight it's fine that. i i i it's fine <laughs> you, you're i'm still scratching your head we will we will we'll scratch, scratch you, you. <laughs> so so until next time i'm jack I'm Corey. And the wages of cinema is Scalabooch! Scalabooch! We will do the Fandango! Galileo! 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 Oh, God, I'm going to ruin my voice. Good night.